Magdalene, uh, Magdalene Rose, our, our political affairs uh, correspondent. Bet you never thought you'd hear that at a GOP debate, did you? No, but I think it's kind of interesting that Vivek did all this about how Rona McDaniel, rightly so, should step down. But there is a core problem here, which is that the MAGA base in the RNC greatly supports her. So we can say, you know, why is she still in power? Why has she never been held accountable? But the reason for that is because in the most recent RNC chair election, she had the overwhelming support of President Trump, as well as all of the MAGA voters. So there's a root cause issue here that we need to examine and that Trump needs to talk about, because until he says she she can go or she should go, she's not going to go anywhere. No, no, we all agree with that. Uh, that this is all uh, on uh, this is all uh, this will all come down to, to, to President Trump. Um, I believe in his role as CEO and founder of Trump International and host of The Apprentice Show that when he is done with some of this madness that he is dealing with in uh, in Manhattan in this court, um, uh, that he actually will move before it's too late and tell the uh, tell the RNC. Guys, she's not running my campaign. I don't want her anywhere near our election campaign. And do yourselves and the party a favor. You shouldn't want her anywhere near it what, uh, 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 at all either. Vivek makes a profound point there, though. Rogan, Rogan Carlson... Yeah. And um, uh, Elon Musk. And, and Musk. Okay, Musk sucks as a as a as a. And he just stinks in interviews. He, he's good if you ask him questions. He he stinks at asking questions. But just to have him there to add color commentary. Can you imagine if they broadcast that on X like it was a Tucker Carlson, uh, an episode of Tucker Carlson? Instead of having seventy thousand people tune in, you might have seven million tune in. And who knows who's in that seven million number? Are there young people like? you that may hear someone like Vivek go uh, talk uh, about the issues that he talked about last night and you may go like I like that guy I agree with that guy well I think one of the problems with that is that the RNC has decided how this is all going to run and the frustration is when we had the the fifth the unprecedented fifth term for Rona McDaniel. One of the things our challengers said was your media operation is ridiculous. The idea that you're giving all this time to all these people doesn't make any sense. Why are you catering to the network? And her position was really odd. It was, well, this is how it's always been. So I think Vivek, even though he's telling the truth up here, it's a, it's a little bit too late for the RNC to change in this election cycle. Because let's say she steps down. It's going to be somebody she supports who then steps up. You're not going to get this house cleaning. And honestly, if you're on the John, Donald Trump side, having her as RNC chairwoman has been very beneficial to you. She sends out massive amounts of mailers and email campaigns trying to fundraise for you. She's participating. So I think he benefits from her, but the rest of the primary field doesn't at this point. And that could be a problem. But Trump doesn't like to lose, and he certainly doesn't want to lose again. No, he doesn't. But I wonder if he thinks that he needs her in place to get to this primary, because this primary is not open and shut. You know, you have Ron DeSantis climbing in Iowa polls. You have the governor of Iowa winning, uh, giving him her endorsement. And remember, Trump didn't win Iowa to begin with in 2016. Yes, Ted Cruz did some shady things, but he didn't he didn't win it there. So you could have a situation where Trump does not come out first in Iowa. 
maybe comes out first New Hampshire, and then he has the conflict of South Carolina with Nikki Haley. So the first the first three states, it's not a clear path to victory. And I think he wants someone heavily loyal to him at the head of the RNC. Unfortunately, she's also grossly incompetent. But I think he'll take that right now. So let's uh, let's talk about Iowa for uh, for a moment. Um, the last three Republicans that have won Iowa, that's all they won. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you win Iowa, and if you, and if you know anything about the Iowa caucus, it makes complete and total sense uh, as to why that is. You had, um, um, uh, what's her name from Minnesota? Michelle Bachman wins it in 2012 and 2008. Mike Huckabee wins it. 2012 was Michelle Bachman. Uh, I forget who won it in 2016, but it wasn't. It was it Ted Cruz? It wasn't Trump. Um, uh, none of them ultimately become the nominees. So you, people put a lot of stock in Iowa. I think Iowa is basically just a test of campaign apparatus. It is, but I think at this point it's worth noting that a lot of Republican voters are unsure of whether or not they want to go forward with Trump. So they are looking to see who has a good campaign, who is able to move people, to motivate people. There's a large portion of the Republican Party, and they don't get as much airtime. They don't get as much discussed about them on Fox News, but they're concerned. And I think that they have a lot of spending power. So in Iowa, you could see not necessarily that it curtails Trump from getting a nomination, but the flow of money could be greatly disrupted for Trump. I know he's a billionaire, but at the end of the day, you always need more money when you're running for president. The flow of money could be severely hurt for him if he doesn't win Iowa. Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I'm going to say the jury is still out on that because I, I believe when you go to a when you go to a primary state, which uh, New Hampshire is, that Trump would, uh, w- will win New Hampshire. I don't think that Nikki Haley uh, is very well liked. I've been to South Carolina. My sister lives in South Carolina. Uh, she is she's not liked well enough to overturn the Trump MAGA train. I don't think that Nikki Haley has a shot of beating him in South Carolina. I Ironically, I don't think that that Ron DeSantis can beat him in Florida. So in the early primary states, uh, it, it seems to me outside of Iowa. Now, now, what are you seeing in Iowa that that tells you that Trump's not doing well in Iowa? And I'm just curious because what I have seen yeah. or what I have read, it looks to me like he's either right where he needs to be or ahead of where he needs to be. Young conservative groups are not coalescing around Donald Trump in Iowa. And I've spoken to a lot of people who are running young Republican chapters, um, church youth groups, these kinds of things. There is not a huge organizational effort for him. Interesting. It's really not there. And one of the problems that, that young people have is that Trump and his campaign, really his campaign, they've not been willing to engage with youth groups. And by youth groups, I mean church youth groups, young Republican activism groups, these things. They're not engaging with them, and they're really shutting them out. There is kind of this idea of, well, you're going to vote for me for him anyway. Whereas DeSantis is taking nothing for granted. And you, know, you can look at it objectively, and you can say which of these campaigns is talking the most or inter- interacting the most with young conservative groups and people and leaders. And on Unfortunately for Trump, it is Ron DeSantis. So there is a lack of youth energy in Iowa. And why that is an issue is because Iowa is one of the few states in this country where we won the youth vote, I believe by a little over five points. So we have a real youth edge in Iowa, according to the Tufts University breakdown post-election, the last couple elections. So for Trump to not be doing well with young conservatives in Iowa, 
I think could become a pattern nationwide. He may well become the nominee, but it's something that he is his campaign is concerned about. And I know from speaking to young conservatives working in Ron Santos's campaign that they're very happy about what's happening with Iowa and that whole network. Okay, so why DeSantis and not Vivek? Because it seems to me, and I'm not a young person any longer, obviously, but it seems to me if I was looking for a, a, a very energetic, non-political person that has potential, uh, to me, uh, uh, let's focus on the energy part, um, that's Vivek Ramaswamy and not Ron DeSantis. Because they want someone political. Young conservatives want someone political. Ah. This idea that we all want somebody who's an outsider. I mean, I don't want that anymore. I think that that has led us down a path of not looking at people who are talented and, and raising them up. Young conservatives across the country really believe that Ron DeSantis has the best ability to reach young people, has the best ability to do daily governance. This is also a factor. When you talk to young Democrats and liberals, you never hear them say, well, he, he or she could govern greatly day to day. That's not a thing that's in their lexicon to talk about. Young conservatives care about the daily governance of a country, and they believe Ron DeSantis can do this. The thing about Vivek is that he's very interesting and, and all of that, but there's very little that he says that we haven't heard from Jordan Peterson or somebody else. Whereas with Ron DeSantis, maybe you haven't seen a governor take on Disney or you haven't seen a governor draw such a hard line on so many issues. So there is a real desire for a competent political figure, and I think the Trump campaign knows that, and that's perhaps why they've not gone all in with youth groups. What's really twisted, though, is my, even Mike Pence had a better youth ground game in a lot of these states that favor Republicans with the youth vote than Donald Trump through the Young Americans Foundation and all of those systems. Well, wasn't Trump, um, okay, uh, Magdalene Rose, our political affairs correspondent, on with uh, our Thursday pol political roundtable talk. Uh, now, Trump entertained Nick Fuentes. He entertained, oh, God, who's the, who's the other young, uh, um, oh, gosh, what, what's his name? Um, uh, one of the other uh, youth group leaders, if you will. They've both been to Mar-a-Lago. Of course, he gets knocked for having uh, uh, Nick Fuentes out there. What groups, are there specific groups that you're talking about outside uh, very, very local uh, uh, church groups and youth groups, you said? You mentioned the YAF, Young Americans for Freedom. That traditionally has been a group filled with libertarians. The Young Americans Foundation, it's a different system. Okay, there's so two that's YAFs. A that's a different, yeah, 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 that's a different system. And then you have local Republican chapters. And one of the other factors here is you also have what sort of natural groupings of young Republicans. Because it's so isolating to be a young Republican, you have like almost a radar for finding these people. Okay. So you have these groups come about in college campuses, and they can be 10 or 15 people. But think about the power of 10 or 15 people door knocking every day for a Republican candidate in a state where you don't see a lot of youth presence. So there's a Donald Trump has a problem and that may not get in his way of becoming the nominee, but he has an issue in that young Republicans are not excited for him. In 2016, there was a group of neocon young Republicans and we all could not stand them and they were against Donald Trump. But by and large, the majority of young Republicans were all in for Trump. I remember that. I remember seeing it. I remember being one of them. That's not happening this time. And I wonder when Vivek, if Vivek eventually drops out, how much of a youth increase you're going to see go to Ron DeSantis? Because if you're pro-Vivek, you're already disenchanted a little bit with Trump. You want something slightly different. 
And I wonder, similarly to how when Mike Pence dropped out, those numbers went to Nikki Haley. If you're going to see Vivek's numbers go to Ron DeSantis, if that happens, Donald Trump may find himself in a slightly more competitive race than he's expecting. He may have some competition, but ultimately, uh, I would mortgage his house and I would bet even from a jail cell that Trump's the nominee. Uh, like uh, Megan Kelly said, <laughs> when he walks in a room, he just sucks all the oxygen out of it. There's just no getting around it. If he wants to drop out, then uh, to me, he's the only person that can uh, that actually can kill his candidacy. Uh, let's move on. What do you make of the polls that show Trump beating Biden in those four swing states? And are there deeper polls that show uh, that also do the comparison between, let's say, Ron DeSantis and Biden in the same states? There have been polls that showed Biden and DeSantis. There have been polls that show Nikki Haley and Biden. I think that there could definitely be an edge amongst adults for Donald Trump. That's not surprising to me. They're dealing with the economy. They know that everything costs more, no matter how much the Biden administration lies about it. They know that's happening. But the problem that Trump is going to have, and it could be the problem all Republicans who are possibly the nominees have, is that when you get to be the nominee, the, the mobilization of young voters against Donald Trump is going to be insane. And if you look at past elections, just the raw data, we have been on track really since 2016, losing young voters by 60 percent, 65 percent, almost 70 percent now. So you're going to go into 2024. I can tell you that the Trump campaign does not have a youth outreach department that is really doing anything. They say that they're pushing. There's no initiatives. There's no meetings. None of it's happening. So you're going to go in. You're going to have an RNC that's incompetent, at least partially, and no youth mobilization effort. And I'm greatly concerned that even though those polls may be right about adults, when push comes to shove, young people across this country are going to vote not for Biden, but for the continuation of the socialist policies that they've grown accustomed to. Interesting. Uh, okay, let's uh, talk about, um, okay, well, well, one follow-up on that. What would Trump have to do to mm-hmm. energize or to go after that young vote? If he were to bring Ramaswamy in as Trump Vivek 2024, does that move the needle at all? Does he have to actually invite, uh, suck it up and invite Ron DeSantis in and make it Trump, uh, Don and Ron 2024? Uh, what does Trump have to do? Because you're right. I, I, from a media perspective, especially from a social media and, and, and a kind of an impression perspective here, I agree that it's the Utes that you see out there with the placard screaming and hollering and throwing Molotov cocktails or doing whatever form of protest or sit in or lunch in or whatever it is that they're doing you're right the youth are are, are out there and they're they're the, certainly the most visible so what yeah. is, is there anything that trump can do that can win that faction over well he's got to focus on winning over young conservatives completely first i mean that's where it's got to begin and to do that you're going to want to go with ron DeSantis. and i think it's very unfortunate that there's this contentiousness between them. I understand why Trump is upset. I get why Ron DeSantis is. But to win over young conservatives, young conservatives believe in Ron DeSantis. And the Trump campaign can be as angry as they want about it. But there are a lot of issues that a lot of young conservatives, like anti-Semitism on college campuses, anti-whiteness, anti-Christianity on college campuses, 
that Ron DeSantis has taken action to deal with as governor of Florida that we didn't really ever have dealt with under Trump, that we didn't really have discussed. There are a lot of those. And when you talk to young conservative leaders, none of them that I've spoken to are surprised by the shift to DeSantis. The problem Trump's going to have with Vivek is it might help him in the short term, but Vivek, it could be a great liability on the campaign trail. He's not super vetted. He is not somebody who is squeaky clean. He has a lot of foreign investments in pharmaceuticals. It does not look like you're draining the swamp by inviting Vivek on your ticket. The first step Trump can do to try to win over the youth vote in general is to consolidate the young Republican vote, young conservative, young Christian. And also, the young Christian world very much likes Ron DeSantis' family. They like the young children. They like the wife that's yes. highly involved. They like the lack of scandals. They like the fact that there's no other women. So I think that that has a big factor in it. And Trump should perhaps stop being so antagonistic towards the family operation DeSantis has because it's very successful. Okay, so let me uh, let's hop into the King Dude's Wayback Machine real quick before we talk about Virginia and Glenn Youngkin. Let me take you back. Uh, here's a little bit of history that some people will remember. You may know it through uh, history books. Uh, you weren't around when it happened. Uh, I kind of was, but I do know it because I came up with and I and I learned it very early on. To the question as to whether or not there could be an alliance, a Trump. Uh, DeSantis alliance uh, the answer is an unequivocal yes and we'll take you back to 1976 Ronald Reagan was Pat Buchanan Gerald Ford was George uh, Bush 41 Reagan campaigned heavily almost almost won the nomination from Ford. The RNC did not want Reagan. They never wanted him until 84. The RNC did not want Reagan. They wanted Ford. He was their boy. And ultimately, on the eve of the campaign and the nomination in Detroit, Michigan, they went to Reagan and they said, Ten Commandments, what's the Ten Commandments of your Republican? Do not speak ill of a Republican. In order to give Ford a shot, we need for you to come out and speak at the convention tomorrow night and we need you to endorse jerry and and uh, reagan uh, uh, very magnanimously uh, said yes and did that fast forward to 1980 george hw bush ran against ronald reagan again and bush was not nice bush was a cia country yeah. club republican he was not nice and he brought all of reagan's scandals up during that campaign and it didn't matter the gipper was going to be the nominee and ultimately there was a deal that was brokered. Look, if you'll just stand down and join the Reagan campaign, he will pick you as vice president. These are two guys that did not like each other at all. And they were and Bush had very publicly gone after a Reagan. And so a deal was made and ultimately it becomes Reagan Bush for eight years and rest, as they say, is history. Um, Donald Trump is, is, is an egomaniac, it's true, but he's also a winner. He's trying to crush the DeSantis rebellion is what he's trying to do. And he's trying to, and he's doing it the only way that he knows how. That's what he does. Do not rule out a white flag truce where it looks like Trump got something from DeSantis and DeSantis got something from Trump. If Trump were to make DeSantis his nominee, a major 31 electoral votes are locked up. Lock and key. You can kiss Florida goodbye if you're a Democrat. They won't even go and campaign there. So as, as a strategic move, I see where this is going. So uh, Magdalene, don't rule that out. 
And you're right about Vivek and the baggage. Uh, and there is no one else out there, if you ask me. He wants someone who has a somewhat of a proven track record. He doesn't want another backstabber like Pence. He doesn't want another swamp creature. DeSantis fits, checks all the boxes. So look at the rivalry from that point of view. And then let's talk about, uh, do you agree with me on that? Just from your, your from your young Republican perspective? Or do you do you rule out there could ever be a, a Trump, Trump DeSantis? I don't rule it out. No, I don't rule it out. I think it's probably the best shot possible. Okay. Um, the the one thing I do think, though, is if Trump does that, he's going to understand that there are going to be large portions of the Republican Party that just DeSantis should talk to. So he's going to really need to use him and not just have him be a background person. Agreed. I agree completely. Let's talk about your beloved Virginia and Glenn Youngkin. What in the hell happened in Virginia, mm-hmm. Magdalene? What happened? They lost the House of Delegates. They lost the Senate. They they lost statewide. It was a bloodbath in Virginia, and Yunkin went on a busk tour. What happened? Yeah. The factors that got Glenn Youngkin elected, as well as his Republican AG and lieutenant governor, are not easily easy to recreate. It's sort of a one-off. You had Terry McAuliffe, I believe, was the nominee against him, saying stupid things about parents' rights. You had Randy Weingarten from the teacher unions backing that up. The, the Democrats cost themselves Virginia in a lot of ways. So Glenn Youngkin, I think, perhaps did not understand how unique his race was to begin with. Mm. So there were a lot of things that he did not understand. The culture of Virginia, while conservative, while very much pro-Second Amendment, it has this liberalness that runs through it. And it's sort of like the most liberalized portion of the South in a lot of ways. And I think Glenn Youngkin, even though he's been a good governor, there's not really complaints. You notice there's not complaints by the people of Virginia. There's just a lack of, we're going to do what you want on behalf of Glenn Youngkin. So he didn't understand how unique his race was. I also don't think he has a particularly competent team around him. He has people who are scandal-free, and that's great and everything, but they're not people who set the news agenda. And that is Glenn Youngkin's one deficit, if you will. He does not set the media agenda. He is a response guy, mm. not a guy who, who gives you what the topic's going to be. And when you're trying to organize a statewide win like he is, that's not something that can happen. Also, Virginia local media is very nasty. They're very mean to each other. It's a lot of backstabbing. I don't think he had an inside guy or woman in there who could get him positive coverage constantly he needed a better spin operation is what it comes down to yeah and and he, he didn't have it i mean no. to just surrender i mean, see both houses are now in democrat hands what people may not know though uh the the constitution uh the virginia constitution was written in 1776 by very very smart very wise men it's pretty much still in effect but it's been amended, uh, and they changed it. They had a convention in the last century. I forget which one. Uh, they've altered it a little bit, but it's pretty. It's pretty much what George Mason and James Madison and Patrick Henry and George With and all the great Virginia statesmen that you know of. It's pretty solid here, uh, and it divides power pretty well. Uh, nothing will get past. There's not a big enough majority in either one of those houses, regardless of that they're in Democrat hands, to do any damage that Youngkin himself can't mitigate with a veto pen. Right. They don't, and that's uh, something that I think... Yeah, sorry, well, yeah, no, I was just going to say, and that's something that um, he, he, if they if they try to reverse the things that he's ordered, that he's done in the last two years, he'll just veto it. 
He will. And that's something also, there's this other factor of the Virginians know how safe they are because of their constitution. So they're willing to take political risks knowing that it's probably going to be okay. And that's a really dangerous mindset to have, especially when you're, you're trying to elect a Republican for anything. True that. Absolutely. Okay. Do you have a view on what happened in Ohio and in, and, yeah. and and how Bashir was able to win again in Kentucky? That was a Trump-backed yeah. candidate in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And Bashir, actually, uh, he won pretty handily, 54-46, so it wasn't even close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. going on? And, 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 uh, okay, the last three candidates that have won in, off, in off-numbered years— the governor's mansion in Kentucky, that party has won the uh, the electoral votes in the presidential yeah. election. Kentucky hadn't gone Democrat an awful long time. Uh, what say you? Well, what happened in Kentucky is that the people of Kentucky didn't like the gubernatorial nominee. They just didn't like him. It, that's, I mean, that's what it was. He was not endearing. There was a big push of, well, this is Trump's guy. Being Trump's guy does not mean you're going to be elected. I don't understand where this <laughs> idea came True. from. It's ridiculous. And yet, this is what, when you go to Daniel Cameron, that was the, the nominee's name, when you went to his Twitter bio, what it said was Trump endorsed or Trump back uh, nominee. That's a problem. That should not be the first thing in your Twitter bio, but it was. And if you look at a lot of the races in Kentucky, there were a lot of Republicans who did win. There were a lot of incumbents, a lot of new people. They held on to their seats or they, or they held on to the seat in general. He's sort of a one-off. And I think this, again, comes down to poor candidate selection. I understand that he was a charismatic young black man. I get that they thought, well, this will be a great moment for diversity. Republican voters don't care about diversity. It doesn't matter to them. So whenever I would see him say, well, there, whenever I'd see a Trump star, I'd say, well, he'll be the first black governor of Kentucky. Why does that matter to Republicans? We are not that party. And so when you go and you have that be your main issue and you have it be in your Twitter bio that you're Trump back and you have no substance, Democrats win. It's just ridiculous that you think it's enough just to be Trump backed in 2023. That is a very, very, very astute point. The people that oppose wokeness and diversity are supposed to go to and vote for a guy because he's a picture, a poster boy for wokeness and diversity. This is insane. So was Kelly Leffler ultimately a better candidate than Herschel Walker would have been in Georgia then? Or, yeah, they're all terrible. That that whole crap. Or she was terrible. I mean, terrible. Where are all the good people? <laughs> I don't know. We must have a really bad candidate recruitment process. Oh, we do. In these other states. <laughs> she was awful. And she's probably doing insider trading. And everybody knows it. And yet it was like, oh, no, just go forward. It's fine. Yeah, we set ourselves up to failure with that one. Okay, uh, a final question for Magdalene Rose, Crusade Channel's uh, political affairs correspondent. Um, is, the, is it a messaging thing? Is it a wording of initiatives thing? Or is it that young people are just going to go out in mountains, uh, they're, they're going to go out and turn out 75, 85, 90% to defeat anything that chips away at, or, or uh, chips away at abortion or in the inverse to support something that guarantees it? And I'm talking, of course, about Ohio. Is this a messaging yeah. problem? Uh, 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 you know, because polls do not reflect what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
day of abortions lose about 76-24, according to the Pew Research Center, but they won 54-46 in Ohio. Is this a, is this a, a messaging problem? Is this a, a, the amendments like the one in Kansas, are they written incorrectly? What, 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 what do you think? Well, my position on this, and I've been having some very tense conversations with pro-life activists, I think the youth pro-life movement is profoundly unfocused. I think that they are not on the ball. And there's a woman named Lila Rose who runs Live Action, a great organization. I think she's done great work. In recent years, her podcasting and everything has become increasingly about marriage and relationships and less and less about abortion. Mm. And her focus has become much more on, and I hate to say it, but she's kind of just lecturing everybody constantly about her life and about everything. And that's fine. I have a lot of the same moral beliefs as she does in, in those regards. But that's not her job. Her job was to be the youth voice that kept abortion in the media or to be the response whenever there was a story. And what's happened with her has happened with a lot of pro- young pro-life leaders. I think there's a real desire to be famous and to be podcasters. And go. that's fine. But then don't hold that position. That Ohio initiative. Now, just do know, I follow Lila Rose. I follow live action. I never saw posts about it. Maybe they were there, but there weren't enough of them that I, as a politically conscious young conservative working in politics, did not see anything about it. I think a lot of blame should be placed at their feet. Makes people uncomfortable to say that. But what changed? Because we went from winning pro-life battles to not. So obviously there's a leadership gap. And I think it really starts with live action and goes throughout the whole pro-life movement. Uh, Kristen Hawkins, Students for Life. Same, yeah, same. Even her, yeah, even her, I mean, she talked about it more. But again, where was the work? Like, where were the marches? Where, were the, where was the commentary? There has become this thing where they seem to be solely focused on social media, which I get. But then I don't even see the social media content relating to the initiative. It's kind of like they're like, well, it's just terrible. It's happening. Well, that's your job to fix it. So I think there's a real lack of energy and desire to go to work in the youth pro-life movement right now. Well, I tell you what, you are smarter than you think because <laughs> that is very that is very well put. Uh, uh, to that point, let me let me uh, quickly let me take you back to 2016. You know who Marjorie mm-hmm. Dannenfelser is? Yeah, she is Susan Anthony, uh, Susan B. Anthony List. Uh, mm-hmm. Trump was very smart in 2016. He went to Marjorie Dannenfelser and the, and the Susan B. Anthony list uh, ladies, and he said, I am a pro-life guy. I know that they don't believe me, but I'm telling you that I am, and I need a strong pro-life ground game. Will you join me? Mm-hmm. And she did. And they worked the pro-life groups for Trump in 2016. And you can see in the states where it mattered, it was pro, it was, it was, it was the fact that Trump had promised to nominate pro-life judges and to go after Roe versus Wade. Um, And he had the strong backing of Marjorie Dannenfelser and and Susan B. Anthony List. There was another, another group, I I forget the name of it. Um, But the point is, and Marjorie is really good about that. They went door, they go door to door. They've come mm-hmm. to my house. <laughs> yeah. And I've said, wait a minute, I know you work for Marjorie Dannenfeld's friend. The young lady goes, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. And so, well, you don't need to, you don't need to politic me. I'm all in. <laughs> but, but that is a, don't, now, I don't know if the Susan B. Anthony list is still like that, but that's an example of a group that is strong yeah. ground game. Like you just said, yeah. they get out and they get the vote out. They do. And it's interesting because that's just not happening. I don't know what the Democrat operation is, but I'll tell you this much. There's a young woman who ran John Fetterman's social media. 
in Pennsylvania. I think she's got to be under 25. And every day she was out there grinding and I saw her pushing and working. And then I would look at the people running Dr. Oz's social media and it wasn't happening. So it's not even just the pro-life movement. Our entire youth ground game is gone in the Republican Party. And I think a lot of that has to do with the impression that was given by certain young conservative leaders that somehow we were winning and we had the most conservative youth generation in in American history. None of that was true, but people bought into the collective delusion. And now Democrats pity us on CNN. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, you you hit the uh, the proverbial nail on the head with the proverbial hammer earlier with Lila Rose, and I think that they, she wants to be a podcasting star. Yeah. They all want to be social media broadcasting stars. That's yeah. what they that's want. That's that they want personal gain. And they want yeah. to be known. They want to. They want to be known for uh, you know. You listen to my podcast. You've seen my video. Da, da, da. All that is there. <laughs> this and you know what you hit the again, Magdalene. You're 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 wiser wiser than you realize. There's a piece. Go, go look this up. I'll see if I can find a link. I'll email it to you. Mm-hmm. The piece was written by Matthew. Not Matthew Walder. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was called the Conservative Echo Chamber. And it was oh, written. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was written in 2015. This guy, he absolutely just dismantled. He just completely yeah. and totally dismantled the idea that Fox News is the friend of the Republican Party and the conservative yeah. movement. It is a complete and total illusion and deception. You were looking on it. We don't talk. Actually, dude, it is such a small share of the population that actually votes. It is an echo chamber. You might as well just go, oh, lady, oh, lady, oh, lady. You might as well literally just yodel to people because you're talking to the exact, you're talking to the same people. No one knew was coming. The Republican Party used to preach about Ronald Reagan used to talk about the big tent. They yeah. closed, they built, a, they built a moat around the tent. <laughs> they, they built, and they're talking to themselves and congratulating them. Look at all the followers. Look at all the hits and clicks. Dude, you're not moving. Not only you're not moving the party, you're not moving Americans uh, to your cause. No, you're not, you're not moving yeah. people to a good, and, and this is the pity. It could be a good and noble cause. You should yeah. have Republican candidates should be going to places like in Cleveland where the bishop just ended the Latin mass. You should a, Repub- a smart Republican candidate would reach out to that priest or to the whoever's running that Latin mass. I'm just giving one example. This, this, this is not boilerplate, but this is one example. Reach out to those people. That's where young, active, conservative people are. And they're yeah. actually living it and doing it. They're not on social media. They actually will go out and bang on doors. They actually will go out and will go stand on a corner and pray rosaries across from an abortion clinic or some sort of or a li- library that's, that's that's forcing that's trying to force porn books on 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 nine year olds. That's the kind of people that need to become politically active. They do, but you know this. There's a real bigotry towards Catholicism in the conservative movement. Oh, yes, there is. The only time we really hear about how great Catholicism is is suddenly you need a Supreme Court justice. It's like, can I get a Catholic to do this? It's fantastic. Let's go find somebody who went to Catholic school. That's the only time there is any appreciation whatsoever or use of it. So a lot of us look at this and we go, look, you won't talk to us. You, You shut us out. What do you expect? In 2020, they had Catholics for Trump. 
and they went out and they recruited Taylor Marshall. Now, you people, go back and tell Taylor everything I'm about to say. Go ahead, because I will tell him to his face. I'm not going to tell you anything that I will not own up to. That was a mistake. You picked the smallest sliver of the smallest amount of Catholics on earth. I mean, yeah. you pick like one-tenth of one percent of those that signify themselves as Catholics to go out and be one of your spokesmen, uh, Catholics uh, for Trump. Um, yeah. He also, as it, 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 you and I are chewing the political fat, he doesn't have that ability. And that's not a knock because yeah. that's not what he does. Now, if they would have picked, if they would have chosen someone that did have that ability and could actually talk as a Catholic, but not as a Catholic, but as a conservative and as a traditionalist, someone like yours truly, I could have, or someone like me, just a little bit less of, well, everything has to be like this. No, no, we can do natural. I can do Vivek Ramaswamy and still be Catholic. I can do natural law. I can tell you why something shouldn't happen. I can do Ben Shapiro. I can use Shapiro's yeah. argument and I'd be a Jesus hater. So they actually, I mean, they knew that they needed the Catholic vote, but they, and, and what they went and they chose is the people to go out and speak. I mean, just such a, and look, that's, uh, that's not a knock on Taylor. It's not a knock on Jesse Romero. And it was good, but that is a, that is a, again, one tenth of 1% of all people that are Catholics. If you're going to go out there and do Catholics, for Trump, you better have someone that can speak to the other 99%. Now, now, is that me? Am I just tooting my own horn? Or does that sound like something that's actually prudent? No, it is. And it's very annoying because a lot of times I talk to young Christians and they say, well, you have this lack of activism. And I'm like, well, you refuse to talk to, to Catholics in general. Why are you surprised that Joe Biden cashed in his Catholic card and became a Catholic president all of a sudden <laughs> while sanctioning the murder of babies? You wouldn't speak to us. So you shut us out. So everyone was like, yeah, I'll vote for Joe Biden. At least technically our guy is in the White House. They shouldn't be surprised, but that's that's where we are right now. Well, uh, a lot may, remains to be seen, and um, um, it's a good conversation. It really is. Madeline, thank you very much. I look forward to uh, yep. uh, speaking with you again next week and uh, on the show that we're going to do uh, sometime uh, this afternoon, God willing. Uh, you can listen mm -hmm. to Madeline every day here on the Crusade Channel. part of our news team also. You can find her hiding in plain sight on all social media. Just look for, search for <laughs> Magdalene Rose. Uh, but you do have one site, though, where it has links to all of your social media. Yeah, if you go to my Twitter bio, you can get a link to everything. Okay. Find her on Twitter. And, of course, on the Crusade Channel website, uh, I link to it there under our team. All right, Magdalene, thank you. God bless. We'll thank talk you. soon. Keep up the good work.